Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Well, hello, everyone. This is Marianne Russo. I am happy to have you joining us tonight. I'd like to start off with a quote from the book Switched On. Those that have Asperger's generally talk fine and listen some of the time, but we often miss the unspoken cues, body language, tone of voice, and subtleties of expression that make up such a big part of human conversation. I've always had a hard time with that. Luckily, my social disability is offset somewhat by my technical skills, but many of the gifts that helped me make a living and take care of myself today also left me feeling lonely and broken as a kid. In his New York Times best-selling book, Look Me in the Eye, John gave us an incredible look into the life of a boy and young adult living with undiagnosed Asperger's syndrome. And for parents and educators, Look Me in the Eye was really eye-opening. It was, gave them insight and understanding of the social, behavioral, and emotional differences these children and young adults experience and how it feels um, to have these differences. Now, in Switched On, John continues to take us on this journey with an unbelievable bend in the road, leading him to cutting-edge medical study that changed his life. So tonight we're going to talk about transcranial magnetic stimulation, what it is, what it does, um, why it can bring out an emotional awakening in people on the spectrum. And I'm going to read one more quote before I bring John on. I walked through the scenes of my life like an outside observer, stepping carefully over the rubble and staying out of trouble. There was very little happiness in the world. Luckily, I had the natural gift for understanding machines and making things work, but people were a complete mystery to me. I wanted to desperately to have friends and be popular, but the closest I could come was working with them to do a job even there. I was more of a lone wolf. So imagine spending the first 40 years of your life in darkness, blind to the emotional and social signals of other people. Then imagine that someone suddenly switches the lights on. This is what happened to our guest tonight, John Robison. I am thrilled to have you back. How are you, John? I'm all right. Thanks for having me with you, yeah. Well, the book is incredible. Um, You know, all of your books are incredible. Um, This one just... It, it you know it's it's one of those books that you read it and when you put it down it's like your head is spinning because um, you know it's so cutting edge and um, it's so important for people to know about this. So I would just want to tell um, our listeners that previously John was on our show and we did an interview on Look Me in the Eye and um, it was fantastic and it really is a must read um, for everyone but especially for parents and educators. So if you can read that book because it'll really bring you to where we are for this interview. 
So, John, let's start off by talking a little bit about what transcranial magnetic stimulation is, um, what you had hoped to achieve from it, and what apprehensions you might have had about joining the study. TMS is a um, neurological therapy where the doctor holds an um, electro, electromagnetic coil up to your head, and <clears throat> the coil is um, a little bit smaller than, uh, than a baseball. It's between the size of a golf ball and a baseball. The uh, coil is pulsed with electricity, and that produces a powerful electromagnetic field. And that field is uh, absorbed by the um, wiring, as it were, between the neurons in your brain underneath the coil, and in which tiny electrical signals are induced by the process of electromagnetic induction. Those signals can step up or step down the functioning of the brain area that's immediately beneath the coil. So what's significant about that is that with TMS, for the first time, neurologists have a tool that can change the functioning of just a tiny part of the brain, 1% or 2% of the brain mass, without changing the rest of the brain, as would happen with psychiatric drugs. And it has opened the door to exploring the function of poorly understood areas of the brain and also to the possibility of innovative new treatments where one area's function is altered with respect to everything else, something that a drug that goes to the whole brain could never do. Right. I would assume without the side effects as well. Um, the side effects, as... Uh, Alvaro described to me, the scientist who led the study, um, the side effects are almost as if if you wanted to put oil in your engine in your car, with psychiatric drugs, you pour the oil all over the car and some of it goes into the engine and the rest of the mess is the side effects. With TMS, you're able to deliver the energy right where you want, which is the equivalent of pouring the oil in the fill hole. Right. Well, you know, you were specifically sought out um, for this study, um, I guess for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, I, I guess that, you know, you write about it uh, beautifully in the book, but, it you know, it, it had to have caused a lot of anxiety and apprehension for you. Um, so, you know, what were your thoughts on this? What were your concerns going in? Um, well, first of all, the technology of TMS is something that I was already very familiar with because large sound systems operate by delivering pulses of energy to big electromagnets, except instead of treating the brain, they vibrate speaker cones and make the sounds you hear. And then in a later job, I designed pulse power supplies very similar to what the TMS machines use. And... We use those to fire lasers. So the electrical part of the thing I was really comfortable with, and that, I think, prevented me from being really nervous. And then when I met the doctors and scientists that were doing the work, 
I was impressed by their smartness and their compassion and also that their ideas made sense. And that, I would say, gave me confidence to move ahead. Well, Dr. Alvaro, I mean, he's a renowned uh, neuroscientist, so, um, you know, this, this study is just incredible. And, you know, I'm going to go, we're going to go into, for the, the bulk of this interview, we're going to talk about the emotional effects um, from the TMS. But did you, were there any um, physical effects, like as you were getting the treatment or afterwards? Well, you knew you were getting the treatment, at least I did, because when you, uh, sit in the chair and the TMS is delivered, it was a one pulse per second. So you would hear the coil fire, be a little pop, and you would feel like a twitching of these tiny muscles in your scalp. And you'd feel a kind of stirring inside your head. And and it stopped the internal dialogue in your mind. Like in my case, I'd be thinking about what I was going to do when I left, or I'd think I'm going to count pulses, and then I'd count one, two, three, four, and then I'd just lose track of it. I would forget my thought. And when I was receiving TMS, I couldn't really keep thoughts in my head, and that, you know, that was how you knew something was happening. It wasn't painful or anything. It was. Uh, it put me in a kind of a tranquil state well and they're a half hour each and they're like 12 right is that how it works is it 12 like per in a groupings or is it 12 complete or how does that work um i think the number 12 what you might be getting that from is reading about protocols to use tms to treat depression oh, okay. so um mm-hmm. after shortly after i began uh, the TMS uh, autism studies at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. The FDA approved TMS to treat drug-resistant uh, depression, and mm-hmm. they had a specific uh, protocol of a certain number of treatments administered, you know, with spacing a few days apart um, right. over a number of weeks. Um, the study I took part in was nothing to do with that. TMS is really, um, it's a tool. It's like um, in um, like in cancer treatment, you might have a radiation machine, and the radiation machine could, could treat something in your, your lung or your liver or your arm, or it could be anywhere in your body. Well, TMS, in that sense, could be aimed anywhere in the brain. And the areas it was aimed for this autism study were totally different than where it is aimed for depression. Right. And how many, um, getting back to the depression, I actually have a a friend who had a son, was in his 20s, and was in horrendous um, depression for years, completely just, the kid just fell apart. No medications worked. And I had actually, after speaking to you, mentioned to them about the TMS, and he did the treatment, and it is unbelievable. Um, You know, finished college, you know, finished graduate school, working. I mean, it was really, it changed his life. Um, So how many treatments did you have and how long were the treatments? Um, I took part in upwards of half a dozen studies, each of which had a slightly different objective and each of which had a differing number of treatments. So I would say 
I, I must have received more than 50 treatments over a four-year period. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, only four of those were what I would call uh, life-changing. The rest right. of the treatments uh, had no apparent effect. Uh, a lot of the treatments were aimed at studying brain plasticity, where they would not be expected to have an effect. But mm-hmm. half the treatments were um, cognitive TMS that were uh, aimed at changing how I would think, and perhaps a quarter of them had a an obvious impact on my uh, feelings or senses. Right, because I, you know, my understanding as I was reading it, and I may be wrong, was that this is sort of different from neuroplasticity because it doesn't really rewire it; it um, almost diverts. But I'm going to read a quote. Um, from Dr. Alvaro that you have in the book, um, and he says, some researchers think autistic people have too many brain connections and they are all jumbled up. Others think they have the wrong connections and that the wiring isn't there. We think the wiring is in there, but it's not working. I'm hoping we can use TMS to activate the paths for emotion and bring that um, sense to life. We think those networks in your frontal lobe, and we've got several parts of it targeted for the study. So Dr. Alvaro, you know, who led this study you were just mentioning, discussed five small areas in the frontal lobe that affect emotion and language, which would be targeted in your treatment. So can you explain these five small areas and why they thought those areas may work differently in people with autism? Um, no, I, I really can't explain that. Um, what I can say is that uh, they used what was at that time uh, the state-of-the-art um, imaging for functional MRI to ascertain areas of the uh, human brain that were active in um, in responding to emotional things, and they used similar uh, guidance from studies of animal brains and I think they based some of their work on uh, studies of um, uh, brains and pathology labs. But when I did the study, I was uh, actually the, you know, one, one of the first humans to, to try this. Right. So, um, so while they had some areas that they thought were likely to be implicated in the sensing of emotion, they were they were best guesses based on that science. They had you mentioned, tried before in a person. Yeah, I mean that's you know what what, what makes this this book all the more uh, interesting because I mean you you know you really were so brave to do this um, you know this is huge. Um, so you know you talk about that there were four <clears throat> treatments that that really were life changing but the the effect of your first treatment was pretty quick and dramatic um you know why don't you tell the listeners um the the story you talk about um after your first treatment when you were riding in your car and listening to Tavares well, what happened there was I had been at the t m s lab for probably four hours it's two hours from my home in Boston. And the way the study worked, they would bring me in and they would sit me down in front of a computer and I would do some exercises. Maybe I would look at uh, eyes flashing by on the screen or maybe faces or maybe stick figures. 
and I'd be asked to push buttons uh, for what they were doing or what they were feeling or what they were saying. And a lot of the time I would do those exercises and I would have absolutely no idea what the expressions or the faces meant. Um, And then they would do the TMS and they would quickly sit me down and have me do the same experiment but with different faces. And sometimes I felt like I could do it better. Sometimes I felt like I was not as good at doing it. And other times I felt like there was no change. So in in this case, in this first session, I thought there wasn't any change. And I left the hospital and I started home and I started playing old recordings from the 70s. And and it was just stunning. All of a sudden, it was like the music was alive. And and it was something that I had not experienced in in decades. But it was the way I remembered experiencing the music 30-some years ago when I was 18 years old and I was working in those clubs as a sound engineer. It was almost like magical that the TMS somehow switched that long-lost ability back on in me. Yeah, you know, it just, and and I think it really took you by surprise as well, Um, you know, because I I think... I I really felt like, yeah, nothing had happened at the hospital, and and, you know, and I actually was thinking, you know, what kind of fool was I to imagine that I would go in there and get zapped for half an hour and anything would be different? Right. And, um, and yet it, it was. You know, what really struck me um, was the change in your reaction to situations. Um, you know, situations that would horrify most people, um, you know, before um, your treatment and then after. You know, I'll give a, an example from the book. You wrote about stopping at a scene of a car accident on your way home from a club and feeling very little emotion or, you know, horror because it was a, a grisly scene. Um, and that was prior to the TMS treatment, yet feeling completely overcome with emotion after the treatment at just reading a sad article in the newspaper. So, you know, you write about realizing that by participating in this study, um, you know, how how your emotions were changing. That had to be really unsettling for you because I would imagine you never felt these things before. It was um, really disturbing because the... uh the things that would set off these emotional reactions would be like um, reading a news article about some guy whose kid got cancer and died, and, and, and it would, like, reduce me to tears. And I used to really question people who said that kind of stuff or express those kinds of sentiments to me, that I thought they were just making a play for attention. How could they possibly care about right some person that died that they read about in the New York Times or something. And and yet that happened to me, and I became unable to uh, even read that kind of stuff. Even now, I really can't uh, handle uh, going to movies or watching most TV shows. They are very difficult for me because they have all of this concentrated emotion in them, and it's just really disturbing to me to watch them, and and I really don't uh, go to movies except maybe once or twice a year, and only then because my family wants me to. I 
I don't know that I'd ever attend another movie if it was up to me. Wow. Yeah, you know, you wrote about, um, you know, when you were thinking about this study and, you know, that you were a part of something that was so big, um, that, you know, you were you were feeling the beginnings of tears of joy, tears of excitement, tears of confusion. I mean, you didn't understand what you were feeling. Um, you know, and you write that, you know, for a person who'd been ruled by logic for 50 years, you know, your new topsy-turvy way of experiencing the world was, you know, quite a change. And if I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that when we um, spoke um, when we were talking about in our interview with your first book, um, Look Me in the Eye, that, you know, for socially you couldn't understand why people would tell you things that you felt didn't pertain to you um, or why somebody would get upset over somebody saying something that it didn't pertain to them. So, um, you know, this must have affected your your relationships, your friendships, you know, your your son, your wife. Um, you know, how did this change affect them? Well, it was um, it was unsettling to uh, everyone. I, I think that I imagined before doing it that greater emotional insight, which I guess you could call greater emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. is um, is like being smarter about math. Greater insight into other people's feelings would be like greater insight into multiplying numbers or something. And I thought, well, um, what could that be except a good thing? Um, But when it happened to me, I I realized that uh, you could be or I could be uh, overloaded by seemingly trivial things. Like in the book, I wrote about how after a later stimulation switched on the ability to look at people and just see the emotions they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was talking to people at work, and I had to stop talking to them and go out in the parking lot and just kind of um, um, cool off, as it were, before I could go back in and confront them. And when you read that passage, you might think that we're like having some kind of you know, emotional, um, charged conversation, you know, big, you know, like a fight or something. And, and it wasn't. I mean, th- these were people coming in and, and talking to me about how they were worried about something at home, but now they're here today to get the water pump replaced on the car. And this is like ordinary um, service department conversation at a car dealership. It's not something that should mm-hmm. reduce me or anyone to tears, but it, but it did. It just overwhelmed me. And and yeah, he, I think that I was disabled by that until that f- intensity of feeling moderated. Yeah, you say that, you know, as the, uh, I think it was by the second um, treatment um, that things sort of uh, toned down. And, you know, in your chapter um, titled um, Emotion, you discuss the theory that in autistic people the regulatory system is um, overactive and preventing the emotional messages from getting through. And, you know, as I was just saying, by the second treatment in a different portion of your brain, things started to settle down, but there were still, excuse me, a lot of changes that were occurring. And you talked about seeing into people, and you said the world started moving. So, you know, how did the world start moving, and and how did that affect your life? Because, you know, when when you read your first book, or or, uh, Kabi or Be Different, 
it's not that you didn't have emotions because you had a lot of sadness and a lot of pain. So you had emotions, but it seemed that everything just changed. So, you know, tell us about how the world started moving. And then, you know, how are these emotions different than you experienced them before the TMS? Were they deeper? Were they just different? You know, can you explain it? Well, as part of the TMS study, they did a lot of different kinds of uh, tests on us. And uh, one of the tests that uh, they did on us was uh, looking at our reaction to things that would um, cause emotional responses. And a couple of the people who were involved in the research had actually done uh, doctoral work on that where um, there had been studies uh, 10, 12 years ago where the uh, researchers um, showed people a video of a person holding an apple up and they poked a pen through the apple and nobody had any response. And then they showed the researcher hold up an apple in one hand, but when he poked with the pen, he poked the pen through the web of his thumb. And everyone who saw that, who was not autistic, winced visibly and had a visible recoiling reaction. Mm -hmm. Most of the autistic people didn't respond visibly at all. And the researcher took that to mean that the autistic people just didn't have an empathy reaction to that situation, which produced empathy in every non-autistic. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other scientists had a hard time believing that that was the correct interpretation. So they uh, wired up another set of people with uh, a heart rate and blood pressure and skin conductance um, sensors, and they did the experiment with them. And, and the visible responses were essentially the same. The non-autistic people winced and, and gave signs of distress. The autistic people gave little or nothing away. But the instruments told a totally different story. The instruments showed that the autistic people had uh, greater changes in clamminess of the skin, greater changes in blood pressure and heart rate, and wow. those changes actually lasted longer than the non-autistic people. So their conclusion was totally opposite. They concluded that the autistic group had deeper and longer-lasting reactions, but you couldn't see them. And um, and so what uh, what TMS really did in me was not make the ability to feel things deeper. It didn't uh, turn on emotion in me because emotion was always there and it was always there in everyone else in our study. What it did is uh, turn on the receptors for things that would never have produced a response in me before and it helped me respond in expected ways. So it was uh, something that uh, it turned on an expected sensing and responding system, not not the underlying emotion. Right. So, so in a lot of ways, I mean, it, it sounds like you know the challenges with uh, autism is really just sort of expression. 
So, you know, it's interesting. Well, that's one that's one challenge with autism, right? So it's really important to be clear that this study was never intended as a, a cure for autism or a generalized autism treatment. It was a therapy that was aimed at one aspect of autism that's disabling to a great many of us, and that is the inability to read unspoken cues from people. Mm-hmm. But there are other studies now where they're using TMS to target executive function, for example, organizing for daily life. They're using TMS to target anxiety in autistic people. They're using um, TMS now to um, look at modifying brain plasticity to partly relieve intellectual disability. So there Mm -hmm. are many other kinds of TMS that could be life-changing for autistic people. None of them are cures for autism, none of them are intended to be. They are all treatments of specific things. Which is fantastic because, you know, if you, if you look at the neurodiversity movement, I mean, you don't want to dampen the creativity and all of the positives and the gifts that come along um, with, uh, you know, a lot of right, the traits in autism. But if you can address a specific problem. Exactly. You know, you look at how many autistic people right now take um, – anti-anxiety medication, and mm-hmm. yet there's, uh, there's evidence that TMS is able to relieve anxiety for years, and, uh, or that wow. uh, you look at autistic people who um, have epileptic seizures, and, and while that's not yet perfected and ready to be deployed, they are mm-hmm. making great progress in that area, and a TMS therapy that could damp down and stop epileptic seizures, that's a lifesaver for people. Oh, that that would be unbelievable. I mean, you know, I've had Temple Grandner, I've had the honor of interviewing her eight times on the show, and um, you know, we were talking one night, and, and she was saying that fear is the core emotion um, felt by um, autistics. And that, you know, I agree we with talked her. about. We yeah, both feel that way. Yeah, we talked about all the positives. Now, just think how cool it would be. If you were able to help with the relatedness and the expressiveness and still be able to keep all of these incredible, um, you know, gifts and talents that come along with it. Um, You know, I know that um, you were talking about us before, you know, the other people in the group. And, you know, what what was really um, interesting to me was that as difficult as these changes were for you to go through, um, you know the, the effect it had on your relationships, the emotional roller coaster that you were on. You, 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 and um, this woman Kim both had similar experiences, and you had the fear of losing it. Um, this other person in the study, Kim, she had very similar experiences. And one of the most touching things for me that you wrote about um, were your feelings on how life would be if the treatments were to wear off. And Kim stated that it's like she was haunted, getting a glimpse of those emotions and knowing what life is like for other people. And I loved your reply because you wrote, I think I am still different, but I'm not sure. What I was sure of was that knowledge is power. Just knowing about the emotional brilliance that existed would forever change how I dealt with people, even if I became oblivious to it again. Um, you know, when we first spoke, uh, we were just talking about this before we went on the air. When, when we, I don't know how many years ago was it that um, Look Me in the Eye came out, maybe five years ago? Um, Nine years ago. We, wow. Uh, well, we were talking about, um, you were just considering um, doing this study, and we were talking about, you know, whatever fears or apprehension you may have um, of losing, you know, your creativity. And, you know, now that you've gone through it, 
I mean, clearly, you have not lost any creativity. Um, you know, now that you've gone gone through the study, what are your feelings on the changes? You know, did they last? Um, you know, how are you different and how are you the same? Well, I think that if you look at the things that I uh, do now and the things I did before, I was a successful operator of a small business but that's a business where I control the environment. I'm the one in charge. I'm not answerable to a boss. If people don't like me as customers or workers, they go elsewhere, not me. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was successful in that environment. Um, and at the same time, I had the memory that I had uh, consistently failed in group environments working for companies where my performance reviews always said I wasn't a team player, I was like a lone wolf or, you know, a cowboy and I would just ride off on my own. And, um, and of course, that's characteristic of how autistic people are often described. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had uh, been a failure in collaborative work. Uh, and yet, after doing the TMS... I began to engage in some of the most important collaborations of my life. For example, my service on these government and and other autism committees. So that's even more complex than being on a committee in a corporation, dealing with government bureaucracy, 30, 40, 50 people. And Mm -hmm. and when you look at that... Wow, thinking about that is mind-boggling, right? People talk about me as like a unifying force in those things. And um, and the idea that that would be said about me um, a comparatively few years after the human resources departments and companies described me as a failure in the same role, that's <laughs> a striking change. Right. You know, just so, um, listeners, just so that you're aware of this, um, you know, John dropped out of high school, uh, worked in the music business where he created sound effects and electronic devices, including the signature illuminated smoking and rocket-firing guitars he built for KISS. Later, John worked on some of the first video games and talking toys at Milton Bradley. After a 10-year career in electronics, John founded Robison Service, a specialty automobile company, and as he was just talking about with now collaborating, today he, in addition um, to running the car company, John is the Neurodiversity Scholar in Residence at the College of William and Mary. He is a member of the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee, which makes the Strategic Plan for Autism for the U.S. government. He has served as a panel member for the Institute for Autism Research, the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institute of Mental Health. So just so that they know what we're talking about, John, <laughs> it's it's incredible. Um, you know, as, as you were just talking about, um, you know, the changes. I was thinking, you know, it, it's got to be. It, it had to be strange to look back, like hindsight. You know, once you now have, um, you know, this awakening. You know, what was that looking back, like on relationships and, and, and on your childhood and all that you went through now that you feel what you feel? Mostly it makes me sad. Yeah. You know, because I look back at things that uh, I thought were sweet or funny and uh, and I realize that people were laughing at me and I look at uh, people that I thought were my friends and 
and I realized they were, you know, what would be described um, today as, you know, like sex offenders and people like that. You know, my my best friend when I was 13 was a guy who was 10 years older than me, and, and he would uh, take me to see bands and stuff, and he would also tell me how I would really enjoy, you know, man-to-man sex, and he could teach me about it and stuff like that. And and I would just say, well, I wanted to get a girlfriend, and, and nothing uh, bad ever happened to me with him. He would tell me those things, and I would say I wanted to get a girlfriend. And, and of course, now I think of those memories in light of TMS and this greater insight, and I realize that uh, if I were to tell that story to any parent today, they'd be immediately dialing the police. And and this thing that I thought was, you know, I have fun times with my friend, it's all like mm-hmm. kind of tainted and, and dirty now, and it, and it wasn't for all my life until that. Yeah. I mean, you can hear the pain, um, you know, in your voice as you're you're, you're talking about it. Um, and the thing is, nothing nothing bad happened to me. But of course, parents wouldn't care about that. They would say, "Well, it's what he wants to do, not what's already happened." And you know. And, well, did your perception of that relationship change after the TMS, or did, did this evolve before? No, it only changed after TMS. I never really. Wow reconsidered it and i think there were other uh things where i remembered people that were like laughing and i was laughing uh with them and now i realize they were laughing at me and it makes me very sad yeah i mean that i could imagine i mean it it, it just sounds so painful and 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 reading um you know, look me in the you eye know, was painful, I, I, and there's I, parts of this book that are painful. But I mean, look what you've done. I mean, when you talk about when you wrote about, you know, that you were part of something big. I mean, what an understatement that is. You know, for what you I, I have accomplished. I, yeah, I think I did a thing that was uh, that was really important to show that this yeah. works and has potential. And I think that you can look at my experience as an autistic guy in this particular therapy and see the transformational power of it, and I think you can extrapolate from that to other conditions that may be targeted by TMS, and I think that that's a very hopeful thing. It is is going to change the direction of uh, treatments for autism, and what I really like about it is that it's not going to dampen creativity and the positives. And, I mean, what this is going to do for people with depression and other types of mental illnesses, I mean, this is the this is the way of the future, and you are the trailblazer. You know, well, I it's like high-precision about... pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, people yep. think TMS is, like, really controversial, but what it's, in, what it's doing is uh, it's doing what pharmaceuticals have done for for years or attempted to do without the sloppy attempted. side effects because attempted it's targeted. To do, exactly. And, exactly. And pharmaceuticals are widely accepted for that, so it's a little bit of a, a mystery to me why people are scared of this, except that it's kind of, you know, science fiction technology. I think anything new is 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 always frightening, but um, that's why I just was so excited when, you know, I touched base with you and, you know, said we have to get this out there because... It's 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 life changing. You know, I, w- I want to talk about um, another chapter um, you wrote. It's called Shimmer of Music, and you write about these mixed up senses um, where you would, you know, like hear 
like a diagram, such as like a circuit board when you were um, an engineer. And I did a series on synesthesia, and I too see it as a gift, but I think, you know, it's a gift if a parent or a teacher knows a child has this. But in one of the cases of um, one of the people I interviewed, this kid was just considered mentally ill, unteachable, unreachable, you know, out of control. And this kid saw numbers at colors as colors. She heard music um, when she saw words, and it was all con- confusing for everybody. So, you know, can you c- explain how a difference, like such as synesthesia, can actually be a gift? Because in a way it was for you. Well, I think that it gives a richness, perhaps, to uh, the way I might perceive um, music, but it's difficult for me to know because you can read my descriptions of seeing music and you can say from that 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 means that I have some degree of synesthesia, but of course I've always been this way and I really cannot know how it is for someone who hasn't got that to perceive music. So I only surmise that it's a richer perception because it involves more senses. I don't really know, though. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because nobody knows how anyone else... Yeah, I mean, we don't know how someone else thinks. We think that how we think is how everybody thinks. I mean, you know, this one kid, I mean, she, she would taste a color. Um, you know, she would smell music. So it's just sort of like, um, I don't know, it's just sort of like a mismatch and a blending of all the senses. But in some cases, it can really be helpful like, you know, it was for you. Um, I think it can give you the ability to discern between things more precisely. And if that's important to you, it can be a big mm -hmm. deal. Right, right. So after the study um, was complete, um, you were tested. And you realized that you could um, look at a picture of a pair of eyes, and you knew right away what they were saying. And you also realized that it was easier to look people in the eye um, with the feeling that you you knew you weren't spying or intruding on them. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you really think about this, I mean, your first book, Look Me in the Eye, and then how this has changed for you. Um, you know, you, you, you end the book, the last couple of chapters, um, you write about success, fear, and new beginnings. So um, what do you look at now with everything from your childhood to now? What do you look at with this transcranial um, magnetic stimulation as your successes, um, your fears? Do you still have them as related to um, this treatment? And what are your new beginnings? Well, I think that um, my biggest uh, new beginning was um, getting uh, divorced and getting married again, and then how um, Mary Pat brought together um, our family, me and her and her kids, my stepkids and my son, Cubby, and and she brought... uh, my first wife, uh, Mary, into our family again, and they became mm-hmm. best friends. And then, of course, the other uh, big change was that uh, Mary got cancer and died. My mother died. And um, and so those were uh, big changes. And, um, and I think that uh, the uh, triumphs are probably my... 
ability to um to take part in say the uh the autism committees and groups that I am involved in I, I think that it's it would be a triumph would be my ability to do those things yeah I mean you know John I mean really you are such an inspiration and you know when when I look at everything from beginning to end and you know you've really chronicled your life for us um you're 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 changing the world you really are and it's just incredible i mean you know I, i'm proud to know you and i'm telling you you know you, you talk a little bit about these successes and when you read any of your books especially this one family is so important to you and i don't want to give away much in the book but people have to buy this book and read it because it's just so open so honest and it's life-changing so switched on is it is it for sale yet is it is it released Oh, yeah. Yeah, it came out last week, and it should be in bookstores, and uh, it's also available in all of the online outlets, and it's available in ebook and uh, audiobook formats also. And what is your website, I narrate Jonathan? the audio myself. Did it's, you really? Uh, oh, okay. com. Oh, that's great. Okay, so it's johnrobeson.com, and, and uh, really, John I encourage... Robeson on Twitter and John Elder Robeson on Facebook. Yeah, and you're very approachable on Twitter as well, which is great. So please, everyone, just give him a follow, check out his website, and you have to buy this book. You should buy all his books, but Switched On, it is fantastic. So, John, I really appreciate you joining me, and I appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you. I I hope that it's a popular thing and people like it and stuff. We'll just have to see. How how, um, available is this? by the way. I mean, now, and what are the plans for the future? Is this something where you need to be in a, a study? Um, and it, I know for depression you don't need to be, um, but for, for the autism... For, TMS for autism is being studied at three or four places right now. It's being studied in Canada for helping executive function. It's being studied in Virginia for uh, social anxiety and autism. It's being studied in South Carolina for emotional insight it's being studied in Israel for emotional insight. Uh, it's being studied in Australia for emotional insight. Well, it's incredible. And you also speak. Do you have any uh, speaking engagements, or do you list them somewhere that people can find them if they want to go see you? Well, you know, I this will be archived online, so there's no, like, upcoming thing to talk about. But I, I do probably 30 to 50 talks a year. And uh, you can find those by just Googling John Elder Robeson speaking schedule, and the schedule will come right up, and you can see what my upcoming appearances are. Okay. Well, John, thank you again for joining me, and um, we are welcome back anytime. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will be back next week. We are going to be starting a series on... um, IEPs, 504s, and how behavioral issues um, come into play in a child's IEP. So thank you for joining us, and you can find everything about The Coffee Clatch at www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Have a great week, everyone.